Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There's a legend out of 16th century Spain that tells of a soldier named Gil Perez who was on guard in the governor's palace in Manila. The date was October 24th. 1593, and Perez was exhausted. The night before, the palace had been raided by Chinese pirates, and despite the guards' best efforts to prevent the worst from happening, the raiders still managed to assassinate His Excellency, Governor Gomez Perez das Mareñas. After that, the palace fell into disarray, and it was the duty of Perez and the remaining soldiers to maintain order until a new governor was appointed. But Perez had been on his feet for close to 24 hours without food or rest, and by now he was feeling pretty weary. The pirates had long since fled, it was late, and the night was still. Perez figured it couldn't hurt if he just sat down in a quiet corner and rested for a bit. He closed his eyes for what he thought was just a moment, but when he opened them again, he realized that something was very, very wrong. He was no longer in the governor's palace in Manila. In fact, at first, he didn't know where he was. But that soon became abundantly clear as well. Several other guards swooped in around him, demanding to know who he was and where he came from. These guards wore a completely different uniform than Perez had on. Instead of answering their questions, Perez asked one of his own, Where the hell was he? What they told him couldn't possibly be true. They informed him he was in the Plaza Mayor of Mexico City, which made no sense at all because that was more than 9,000 nautical miles away from Manila, on the other side of the ocean. Perez told the men that this had to be a joke because he had just received his orders the morning before on October 23rd, and that had been in Manila, not Mexico City. The confused and visibly shaken soldiers hauled Perez away and locked him in a jail cell. At the very least, they decided the man must be a deserter, although a few of them even dared suggest he may have been in league with the devil himself. Spanish inquisitors interrogated Perez, but all he could do was repeat his same story over and over, that he had been in Manila one moment, then in Mexico City the next traveling there in the literal blink of an eye. No one knew what to make of Perez or his impossible story, nor of his ridiculous claim that the governor had been assassinated. So they left him locked in a cell for two months while they decided what to do with him. And that's where Gil Perez remained until a Manilan galleon arrived in port one day, and one of the men on board actually recognized the prisoner. He confirmed not only that Perez had indeed been in Manila just before they left on October 23rd, but also that the governor had been murdered exactly as Perez described. After that, the authorities had no choice but to allow Perez to go free and return to his home in Manila. 
Now, just to be clear, there's plenty of reason to doubt this story's veracity. Even beyond how far-fetched it sounds, we also need to consider that the first time it even shows up in print was in 1698, more than a hundred years after the event allegedly took place. Nonetheless, the story of the teleporting Spanish soldier has been handed down as a true event for generations ever since. The idea that you can be transported great distances in the blink of an eye is one that goes back surprisingly far throughout history. The Bible is full of descriptions of people being carried away by the wings of angels. There are also legends about the first century Greek philosopher Apollonius Tiana, who is said to have the ability to teleport himself across vast distances to treat plague victims. Teleportation is a concept that has traveled quite a long way itself, well into the modern era. Probably our most well-known current examples are either Harry Potter's flu network or Star Trek's teleporters. But what if they're not all just made-up stories? Crazy as it sounds, several times throughout history, there have been people who have been reported to have vanished and reappeared somewhere else miles away. Maybe believing in teleportation is simply a matter of taking a leap of faith. I'm Nate Hale, and I'm really starting to regret wearing this red shirt on this away mission. And this is The Conspirators. In Spain, between 1620 to 1631, there lived a nun named the Venerable Mary Jesus of Agreda, who is sometimes referred to as the Lady in Blue or the Blue Nun because of the distinctive color of her order's habit. When Sister Mary was a young girl, she began having strange visions of the future that often came true with uncanny accuracy. Although Mary believed these visions to be a gift from God, there were those in her tiny Spanish village that instead believed her to be a witch. But it wasn't these visions that made Mary famous. Rather, it was what happened to her after she entered the convent at age 12. That's because within a few years she began to make quite a name for herself as one of the most unique Christian missionaries in history. You see, Sister Mary began carrying the word of the Lord half a world away. Yet at the same time, she claimed she never had to leave the comfort of her convent in Spain to do it. Word began to spread throughout the church that Sister Mary had the ability to teleport herself from her convent in Spain across the ocean all the way to New Mexico and West Texas. There, she brought the teachings of the Lord to the Jumano Indians who lived throughout that part of America. Word reached all the way to the Vatican about the miraculous claims of this unusual Spanish nun. Many church leaders came to the conclusion that the woman was clearly delusional. But over time, word began to filter back from the new world that appeared to support Sister Mary's claims. In 1622, a missionary named Father Alonso de Benavides wrote letters to both Pope Urban VII and Philip IV of Spain, telling them about a mysterious woman who appeared before the natives and bestowed them with gifts of a crucifix and a chalice, both of which proved to belong to Sister Mary's convent. Keep in mind, at the time, Father Benavides had never even heard of Sister Mary before, much less of her miraculous claims of being able to teleport herself across the ocean. 
Perhaps the most striking thing about this mysterious woman is the way Father Benavides described her, though. You see, the good father made a special point of describing the color of the mysterious woman's frock. It was blue. The story of the Lady in Blue isn't the only one like it to come out of the Middle Ages. In 1661, Florence Newton from County Cork, Ireland was tried and accused of being a witch. Several locals came forward with some pretty fantastic claims about her. It was said that sometimes Florence would fall into deep trances, during which a demon would enter her body and cause her to turn violent. She was also said to exhibit supernatural strength during these fits and could easily throw a grown man across the room. It was also said that showers of stones would materialize from thin air and pelt Florence and anyone else around her. She was said to vomit up all manner of strange objects, including wool and needles. But perhaps Florence's most shocking ability was her power to be able to disappear from a locked room, only to reappear seconds later in another room, on the roof of her home, or even inside a locked chest. This, of course, didn't seem to help her much since she was eventually arrested and tried for witchcraft. She was accused in court of causing a man's death after kissing him on the hand and cursing him, although the records aren't clear as to what happened to her after that. For the next couple centuries, stories of people who could teleport themselves were typically blamed on being the work of the devil. In 1871, during the height of the spiritualist movement, a London psychic who went by the name Mrs. Guppy allegedly teleported from her home in Highbury, England, only to plop down right in the midst of a seance being conducted three miles away. Most amusingly of all, Mrs. Guppy hadn't had time to put on clothes before being whisked away and supposedly appeared at the seance wearing only her underwear. Another medium known for his supernatural abilities was Carlo Mirabelli from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Mirabelli allegedly had a number of superpowers that sounded like something straight out of X-Men comics. He was said to be telekinetic and was even able to levitate. In 1926, Mirabelli was about to board a train bound for the Port of Santos with a group of friends, when his companions all claimed the man began to fade from existence right before their eyes. Mirabelli's companions couldn't believe what they had just seen, but they were even more astounded 15 minutes later, when the station master came over to them and told them they had a phone call from Mirabelli. The medium told them he had spontaneously teleported to the town of Sao Vicente, which was 56 miles away from his intended destination of Santos, and he was wondering if one of them wouldn't mind coming to pick him up. It was only a few years after that when the term teleportation was coined by the legendary writer Charles Fort. Throughout the early 20th century, Charles Fort made a name for himself collecting stories of strange and unusual events around the world that came to be known as Fortiana. He coined the term teleportation after learning of several strange stories of people vanishing and reappearing elsewhere. The prefix tele comes from a Greek word meaning distant, and the second half of the word comes from the Latin word porter, meaning to carry. Undoubtedly one of the strangest stories from the 20th century involving teleportation comes from a 1951 autobiography by psychiatrist Donald Powell called My Six Convicts, about his time working in Leavenworth Penitentiary. Of all the stories Powell relates, by far the most interesting is that of a convicted murderer known only as Haddad. Powell didn't know much about the prisoner's background other than the really incredible things he told about himself. Haddad said he was of Senegalese descent, 
although he also claimed to be a Chaldean astrologer who came from a long bloodline of powerful magicians. He also at other times claimed to have been a voodoo priest in Haiti and a devout worshiper of Satan, which only added to the many reasons the other inmates were scared to death of him. It was said that Haddad had been in three separate penitentiaries before Leavenworth, and none of those prisons wanted to keep him around long. This was because a number of guards and inmates came to believe that Haddad was a powerful sorcerer. The police officers who arrested the man claimed he had been able to deflect their bullets during a gunfight. Other people said he possessed magical healing abilities as well as mental telepathy. Some witnesses claimed Haddad could even use those mental abilities to control people's minds. Some of the guards told Donald Powell that the prisoner could make them do things like provide him with extra food rations simply by staring into their eyes and demanding it. This was an ability that Haddad later showed off to spectacular effect. One day, Haddad was found dead from an apparent suicide by hanging himself from the ceiling of his cell with a belt. This particular belt had come off the same incredulous guard who found him, although that same guard had zero memory of ever giving it to him. After they cut him down, Haddad's body was sent to the morgue. Both the prison doctor and a visiting neurologist agreed that the man was very dead. But just before the prison doctor was about to cut into the man's skull with a scalpel, he gave them both the scare of a lifetime when he sat up calmly on his gurney and asked for a glass of water. He had a bit of a sore throat, he said. After that word got around fast about Haddad's return from the dead, and other prisoners tried to avoid the man as much as possible. According to Paul, Haddad seemed to get a major kick out of the fear he instilled in everyone. After his amazing resurrection, Haddad began to exhibit yet another even more disturbing ability, when it appeared he could now walk through walls. Several times over the years, Haddad would suddenly appear wandering the hallways outside his locked prison cell, and the spooked guards would have to usher him back in. Each time they checked him over thoroughly, making sure he didn't have any hidden lockpicks or even a spare set of keys, but they found nothing. Just to be safe, they tried handcuffing him into his cell, and when that didn't work, they tried putting the man into a straitjacket. But somehow, Haddad was able to get out of every restraint. And although it seemed like Haddad could have walked away freely at any time, for some reason he instead chose to serve out his prison sentence. Later on, Paul heard a story from one of the paddy wagon drivers who had delivered Haddad to Leavenworth. That man told him that on the drive over to the prison, Haddad had vanished from his locked truck. But by the time he pulled up, Haddad was standing there in front of the prison gates waiting to be let in. Now, it's certainly a good story, but we have no real way to confirm that any of it really happened. Aside from Donald Powell's book, there doesn't appear to be much evidence to corroborate any of these wild claims. The book would go on to be turned into a 1951 movie, although it should be noted the film version is played mainly for laughs, and Adad's story is notably absent. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. 
To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we continue, I wanted to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Babbel, the language learning app that will get you speaking a new language with confidence. I wish I'd had Babbel back when I was in high school learning Spanish. It would have made things so much easier. Babbel provides users with a choice of 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, German, and many more. Babbel is a fun and easy-to-use app designed to help you learn a new language in only a few weeks. Each convenient lesson is broken up into short, bite-sized chunks that only take around 10 to 15 minutes to go through. Each lesson was crafted by more than 100 language experts. You can use Babbel as an app or online, and your progress will be synced across all devices. This is what has helped make Babbel the number one selling language learning app in the world. So if you're interested in learning a new language, guess what? You're in luck. Try it for free. That's right, free by downloading the Babbel app or go to Babbel.com. That's Babbel.com, B-A-B-B-E-L.com. And now, back to the show. Up till now, all the stories about teleportation I've shared with you have involved the supernatural. But what does science have to say about the subject? Quite a bit, as it turns out. It might surprise you to learn that in 2017, Chinese scientists claimed to have successfully teleported an object into space. Now, before you get your hopes up too high, this probably isn't exactly what you're thinking. The object the scientists teleported was a photon and it was sent from an earthbound lab in Tibet to an orbiting satellite 300 miles above the Earth. This feat was performed using something called quantum entanglement, which involves linking two subatomic particles across great distances, and allows information to be instantaneously transferred between them. By perfecting this rapid transfer of information, scientists envisioned this technique being one day used to establish an even faster internet, Now, that's all said and good, but what you're probably interested in hearing about is if it's possible to one day teleport a solid object from one point to another, up to and including a human being. The answer to that, according to science, is maybe. If you've ever watched Star Trek, then you'd have undoubtedly been introduced to their transporter technology, in which crew members can be broken down into tiny particles and be reassembled elsewhere. Current technology is many years away from being able to achieve this feat, and yet, some scientists today still maintain it's not entirely outside the realm of possibilities either. There are, of course, plenty of technological hurdles standing in the way. The computing power alone to break down and rebuild an object is staggering. But at the same time, some scientists believe the very same quantum computing I've already described might one day hold the key. In a recent TED Talk, Professor Saj Saini of MIT spoke about teleportation using an example involving a baseball. According to Professor Saini, it may be theoretically possible to read the quantum state of a baseball in London, then transmit that data to, say, India, and remake the ball using all the same information. But that leaves open the much deeper philosophical question about whether it's even the same ball. There's an old philosophical lesson that asks if you purchase an axe and over time you first replace the blade and the handle, is it still the same axe? Likewise, if one day we were able to determine the quantum state of a person, 
and transmit that data to another part of the world, would that still be the same human being? Or have you in fact destroyed the original person and created an exact duplicate elsewhere? In either case, officially, we're still a long, long way from building a real working teleportation device. Or are we? There once lived an engineer in London back in the 19th century who claimed to have done just that. In the late 1800s, an inventor named William Cantello purchased what he described as a curiosity shop on French Street in the London neighborhood of Southampton. In truth, the shop was more of a museum dedicated to the man's work rather than an actual shop. Cantello seldom sold anything, and instead he made much of his fortune by designing ships' capstans and other pieces of marine engineering. Like any good mad scientist, beneath the shop, Cantello had his own basement lab, and he'd even had an underground tunnel that led to the pub he owned across the street. Patrons to the pub often complained about the weird lights and loud racket coming out of Cantello's lab including the loud, rapid-fire chatter of a new kind of machine gun he was working on. Visitors to the man's underground workshop claimed to have seen the prototype for this new machine gun that Cantello hoped would one day replace the popular Gatling gun as the number one weapon of war. Cantello would often disappear down into his lab for days at a stretch. Everyone, including his own children, knew not to bother the inventor while he was working. Stories of exactly what happened to him after that vary. What is known is that at some point during the summer of 1881, William Cantello vanished and was never heard from again. Some people claim Cantello went down into his lab one day and never came out again. Others say he withdrew a large sum of money from his bank account and skipped town. Cantello's family hired a private investigator to find out exactly what happened to him. The investigator claimed to have traced him to America, although he was unable to provide any evidence of this to the family. Something strange occurred the following year when an American inventor named Hiram Maxim showed up in the United Kingdom. Maxim made a name for himself by submitting patents on a number of inventions, including a fire sprinkler, air curling irons, and even the proverbial better mousetrap. He also made several even more fantastic claims throughout his life that he was the real inventor of the electric light bulb, that he came up with powered flight long before the Wright brothers, and that he had even developed his own teleportation device. But there's one invention in particular that Maxim patented that caught the attention of William Cantello's sons. Not long after arriving in London, Maxim began selling a groundbreaking new machine gun to the British military that bore a striking resemblance to the design created by their father. Cantello's children began digging more deeply into the background of Hiram Maxim, at first thinking that the man must have somehow stolen their father's work. But then they came across a newspaper photograph of the man which made them change their minds entirely. It turns out, Hiram Maxim was the spitting image of their missing father. Even more suspicious was the fact that the man absolutely refused to meet the young men in person. One day the sons managed to track Maxim down to a Waterloo train station, but they only managed to catch a glimpse of him as the train pulled away from the station. Maxim later sent the boys a letter telling them that he wanted nothing to do with them, and that he was born in America, not the Isle of Wight. That particular detail only further convinced them that Maxim really was their father, 
for nobody outside the immediate family knew they originated from the Isle of Wight. The problem was, the more the boys dug into the mysterious Hiram Maxim's past, the more they realized the man really appeared to have an extensive history in America. This led them to the conclusion that their father must have been leading a double life, and that he had been teleporting himself to America all those times he disappeared for days on end. Hiram Maxim went to his grave denying he was really William Cantello. A few years ago, a BBC reporter tried looking into these claims and learned that Maxim had complained in his autobiography about a quote-unquote double impersonating him in America. Although side-by-side comparisons of photographs of the two men do show many similarities, a facial recognition expert was unable to declare an exact match. Although current scientific thinking tends to pin its hopes for developing teleportation technology on quantum mechanics, there is yet another way science says it's possible to traverse great distances instantaneously. Wormholes. A wormhole is a theoretical passage through space-time that would allow you to take a shortcut across the universe. I say theoretical because there's no evidence that such a rip in the fabric of space and time even exists, although the theory of general relativity says wormholes are possible. But until the time we find or create one for ourselves, wormholes remain strictly the stuff of science fiction. And yet, there are some people who believe that there are places on Earth right now where the fabric of the universe is frayed and it's theoretically possible to step right out of existence. I'm sure you've all heard of the Bermuda Triangle, that enormous stretch of the Atlantic Ocean where, legend has it, hundreds of planes and ships have mysteriously vanished, never to be seen again. But the Bermuda Triangle isn't the only place like it on Earth. There's an area of Lake Michigan stretching from Ludington to Benton Harbor across the lake to Manitowoc, Wisconsin, with its own mysterious and deadly reputation. One of the earliest known disappearances in the so-called Lake Michigan Triangle dates back to 1891 when a schooner named the Thomas Hume set sail across the lake to pick up some lumber. But sometime overnight, the schooner vanished without a trace, taking the seven sailors aboard with it. After that, other peculiar disappearances kept happening on the lake. In 1921, a ship known as the Rosabella was found overturned and floating in the middle of Lake Michigan. All 11 members of its crew had vanished. Although it appeared the ship had been damaged in some sort of collision, no other ship was reported to have been damaged, nor could any other remains be found. As time went on and other disappearances were reported, rumors began to spread that the Great Lakes Triangle was some sort of time portal. Some witnesses reported seeing strange lights in the sky, while others described mysterious weather patterns and other phenomenon. On April 28, 1937, Captain George Donner of the freighter O.M. McFarland went down to his cabin after a long, exhausting night of guiding his vessel through icy waters. He told his crew he was going to get a few hours of shut-eye and that they should wake him when they neared Port Washington. But when the crew went down to his cabin later, per his instructions, they found the cabin was locked from the inside and Captain Donner was nowhere to be found. In 1950, What was then the deadliest commercial airliner accident in history occurred over Lake Michigan. That was when Northwest Airlines Flight 2501 vanished over the lake, shortly after the pilot reported his intention to descend below the cloud layer because of a severe electrical storm that was lashing the lake with high-velocity winds. None of the plane wreckage was ever found, and all 58 people aboard vanished with it. 
About two hours after the pilot's last communication, two police officers claimed to have seen a strange red light hovering over the lake in the vicinity where the plane was last seen. Now, of course, plenty of skeptics have pointed out there doesn't seem to be much mystery here, and the logical explanation is the plane crashed after running into violent weather. The Great Lakes are notorious for having powerful storms and even massive rogue waves. There's an old saying by some sailors that if you can navigate the Great Lakes, you can navigate any body of water in the world. In fact, just a few years ago, a group of researchers claimed to have found a mass grave along a Michigan shore that contained the bodies of many of the plane crash victims of Flight 2501. But some paranormal investigators still maintain there's something unearthly going on beneath the waters of Lake Michigan. In 2007, a professor of underwater archaeology from Northwestern Michigan College made a surprising discovery when he found a series of stone monoliths arranged in a circle 40 feet below the surface of Lake Michigan, similar to England's own Stonehenge. Although the exact age of these stones is still unknown, one of them appears to have the carving of a mastodon on it, and that's an animal that went extinct about 10,000 years ago. Today there are more than a few paranormal investigators who claim stone monoliths such as Stonehenge or the ones beneath Lake Michigan are the epicenters of portals to another dimension. But no matter what you may believe about the Lake Michigan Triangle, there remain some cases surrounding the lake which seem to defy all logic and reason. Back in February 1978, a college student named Stephen Kubaki told his family he was going skiing near Lake Michigan. Only Stephen never returned. Soon, a massive search effort was put forth looking for Stephen. They eventually found Stephen's skis and poles on a beach alongside the frozen lake. Searchers followed a set of footprints near the scene out onto the lake, where they abruptly stopped. The logical explanation was the young man stepped out onto the ice, then fell into a hole and drowned. But there was no indication that any such hole had opened up in the ice, nor any reason anyone could see that Stephen would have gone out onto the lake in the first place. Even stranger still, later that day, Stephen's backpack suddenly appeared next to the location where the young man's skis had been found, even though the area had already been thoroughly searched before. Nonetheless, peculiar as that was, everyone assumed Stephen Kubaki had fallen into the lake and drowned. That is until Stephen showed up on his father's doorstep and rang the bell. Stephen's family was understandably stunned to see him. They welcomed him inside and, from what little Stephen could remember, he was able to explain to them he had woken up in a field and found his way to his father's house. He was wearing different clothes than he'd had on when he left, and he had with him a strange satchel he didn't recognize that contained several maps he had no memory of. But those weren't the strangest things about Stephen's miraculous disappearing act. For starters, the field Stephen remembered waking up in was more than 40 miles away from his father's house. Which gets even crazier when you realize that Stephen's father lived a full 700 miles away from the place where he disappeared. All of that would have been more than enough to make the story of Stephen Kubaki one of the strangest disappearances in history. But there was yet another detail that can only make you wonder, and that's the date. The day Stephen Kubaki reappeared was May 5th, 1979, nearly a year and a half after the day he went missing. 
Yet Stephen had no memory of any time passing at all since the day he vanished. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, and Entirely Fictional Identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have a new Patreon supporter to thank. Thank you so much to John for signing up and helping support the show. Just a reminder that patrons to the Conspirators get access to all sorts of nifty bonuses, including stickers, t-shirts, magnets, and of course our patron-exclusive mini-episodes. Another great way you can help support the show is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings and reviews helps boost us in Apple's magical algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. It's like a pyramid scheme, but a lot less sketchy. If you're not on Apple, you can also find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and many of your favorite podcast apps. We also have a website, theconspiratorspodcast.com. Thanks again, and I hope you'll join us again next time.